You're listening to audio from Grace Family Church. If you'd like to explore more resources or give to our ministry, please visit us at gracepsl.org. Once again, my name is Lawrence, and I serve on staff as the Director of Young Adults and Technology. Uh, Pastor Violet and Pastor Jeff are out of town visiting family this weekend, but by God's grace, they're going to return and continue the series in the book of Daniel. Now this morning, we're going to be in the New Testament, so turn your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 to 32, uh, 33, excuse me, Matthew 14, 22 to 33. Uh, for some context, as you flip or scroll, Jesus is roughly a year and a half into his ministry. Uh, he's been teaching and performing numerous miracles uh, that point to his mission of reconciliation and the message of salvation by faith in him. In Luke 19.10, he says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. However, uh, due to his growing reputation uh, of teaching with authority, endearing company with the common people, uh, and performing supernatural miracles, the people see him as a savior from the Roman occupation, but not the promised savior from their sins. They often misunderstood his person and his mission. And Jesus' reputation not only spread among the people, but spread also to to King Herod, the the regional ruler of Israel placed by the Roman Empire. And Herod has heard of Jesus, and in fear he thinks that Jesus is John the Baptist reborn after he had John the Baptist beheaded. Now what happened there was that John the Baptist called out Herod's sin of marrying his sister-in-law. Now, you can imagine the holiday at the Herod's, right? Kind of messy, right? When Jesus hears that Herod has heard of him, he withdraws with his disciples from the region because his time has not yet come for the cross. So they cross the Sea of Galilee to a remote place. And as they arrive, they're met by a large crowd. And it is here that Jesus supernaturally feeds the crowd of 5,000 with only five loaves and two fishes. Now, again, they they notice that this something amazing just happened. A miracle just happened. And in John 16, 15, Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. And the Gospel of Matthew, right, our, our text this morning, gives us a bit more details into the story. And it is here that we see that Jesus models for us one of the most crucial blessings that we have as children of God. This blessing is at our daily and immediate disposal, but we often don't take advantage of practicing what I'd call the sweet solitude of prayer. We do not practice enough the sweet solitude of prayer. And this morning, we're going to answer three foundational questions about prayer. What is prayer? Why pray? And how are we to pray? Or how should we pray? And we're going to conclude with three applications from our story as to why we should often practice withdrawing to pray as Jesus models for us. So if you're there, um, we're going to read from uh, verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side. And while he dismissed the crowd, um, I'm sorry, while he dismissed the crowd, after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. 
Later that night, he was there alone. So what is prayer? What is prayer? Uh, to answer this question, we, it's probably best to begin by understanding three examples of what prayer is not. We're going to start from that angle. For us to understand what prayer is, we're going to try to understand what prayer is not. And first of all, prayer is not a public performance. Prayer is not a public performance. Now, some people feel intimidated uh, to pray because they probably heard someone pray eloquently, right? That now it has become a measuring stick of religiosity. If I don't pray like that guy, man, I don't, I don't think I'm praying, right? And to be clear, like public prayer is important. God calls us to pray with one another and for one another. James 15, uh, I'm sorry, 516. And in the book of Acts, the church gathered together. They lifted up their voices uh, in unison in prayer. But prayer as a public performance is where God has become the means to the end of self-exaltation. Is the desire to be seen and made much of and for other people, right, the people around us, to be impressed at our passion and our eloquence instead of being heard by God. And Jesus sternly warns us not to be hypocritical or to follow the hypocrites. In Matthew 6, 5, he says, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. So firstly, prayer is not a public performance. Secondly, prayer is not manifesting. Prayer is not manifesting. This is a, a new age trend that has been circling for decades, and it's made a resurgence uh, from the philosophy called the law of attraction. The law of attraction. This, this philosophy kind of generated out in the 19th century. And it is the belief that all thoughts eventually become things, and if you think positively, positive things will happen. And it sounds really cool. It sounds good. And manifesting has been made popular by many celebrities, and it is widely popular in social media and even in pop culture. It is defined as the practice of thinking aspirational thoughts with the purpose of making them real. And millions in our country have been led astray by this. They write, right? They profess their aspirations to the universe, whatever the heck that is, right? <laughs> universe. There is just this abstract thing or person or entity that will receive what I throw out there. And false teachers seeking to line their pockets, right, and feed their ego, they find that rewording secular, unbiblical things and bringing them into the church is going to catch on. So instead of manifesting or the law of attraction, right, we've heard from pulpits the power of positive confessions, right? Speaking things into existence, name it or claim it, right? As a, as a friend of mine would say, blab it or grab it, right? If I spit it, I'm going to get it, <laughs> right? And manifesting has slithered into the church under various names as prosperity preachers erroneously misinterpret and take the Bible out of context. And for instance, they use this verse, Romans 4.17, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things into being that are not. Their assertion in using this verse is that God does speak things into existence. And since we are children of God, 
We too have the power to not only desire great things, but to speak them into happening. Or in a sense, right, in a poetic way, they'll say, your words can create worlds. Your words can create worlds. Now, this isn't true because while it may seem bold, it may seem edgy, it may seem exciting, it may seem even biblical, the motive is rooted in self-exaltation. It sounds a lot like our enemy, right? The enemy says, I will make myself like the Most High. And while it's true that what we say and what we dwell on mentally powerfully affects our lives, speaking things into existence neglects that the attribute of words creating reality is God's alone. It disregards God's word as the prophet Jeremiah says, who has spoken it and it came to pass, unless the Lord has commanded it. So prayer is not a public performance and prayer is not manifesting. And thirdly, prayer is not vain repetition. Prayer is not vain repetition. Jesus again cautions that prayer simply isn't the repetition of words, right, or babbling. In verse 7 he says, and when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. And the worship of idols in Pagan culture is characterized just by this. If I say it a lot, he's going to have to hear me. The prophets of Baal and 1 Kings did the same thing. For 12 hours, they cried out, Oh, Baal, answer us. And Baal didn't show up. The mob in Ephesus cried out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians for two hours, and they caused a riot. Artemis never showed up. And we see it today in many world religions. This goal in empty recitation or babbling is an attempt to execute a transaction. Here is my religious dedication of hours and words. Now give me what I want. Do what I say. This isn't prayer because the motives wrongly assumes that our many words will indebt God to do what we want. All of these and many more examples of what prayer is not are all motivated by pride. The exaltation of self, the over-desire of what we want over what God's want, using God as a means to an end. But prayer, however, is communicating with God as our Heavenly Father by faith in Jesus Christ through the enabling of the Holy Spirit. That's prayer. You see, that is, that is all God doing that. That's us communicating with God on the basis of God being our Father, right? Enabled by the Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done on the cross. In other words, prayer is a direct speed dial. Some of us know what that is, right? right? Prayer is a speed dial, right, to God. It is instant access and audience with the creator and sustainer of the universe. We are invited We are drawn in by the indwelling Holy Spirit to God's throne room, not because of our merit, not because of our morality, but because Jesus has made us right with God through the cross. Instead of what Solomon would call wicked sacrifices, right, or prayers that God himself sees as abominations when we were sinners, because of Christ, the prayer of the upright is his delight. God is delighted. He is glad. He is pleased to hear from you. 
I'm going to say it again for the people in the back. God is delighted. God is pleased. God desires to hear from you. And to pray correctly, we must understand that prayer requires three things. It requires humility. It requires honesty. It requires boldness. In humility, we must understand that we bring nothing to deserve our interaction with God. We bring absolutely nothing. James says, God resists the proud but gives what? Grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. And in honesty, right, if we're praying with honesty, we can realize there is no fooling God. Right? You cannot wordsmith God. <laughs> you can't kind of present yourself, right? I, I'm going to make sure I'm put together. I want to make sure I'm put together before I come in. I'm going to make sure I'm put together when I'm in there. You can't. All of our thoughts are laid bare. We are naked and exposed before him. The crooks and crannies, right, the dark corners, the minds of your mind are as clear as the noonday before him. But instead, we're to be like the tax collector in Jesus' parable who beat his breast. He understood who he was and understood who God is. And he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. be honest and thirdly we're to be bold now this may seem counterintuitive right because earlier requirements communicate this lowly disposition but boldness proper boldness in prayer isn't rooted in the elevation of self right like i'm gonna muster up my strength i'm gonna muster up my good deeds i'm gonna march in there and tell god what it is no that's not boldness that's pride but this boldness right flows not from ourselves, but from the person and capability of God in Christ. We're not looking at ourselves. We're looking at who God is and what he has done and what he's capable of. The writer of Hebrews reminds us, he says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come what? To the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And when we pray with the proper understanding that our communication with God is enabling, it is him drawing us to fellowship with him in humility and honesty and boldness. What happens is that we are naturally, even in that moment, we are naturally praying according to his will of us drawing near to him. So that's what prayer is. The next question is, why pray? Why should we pray? Since prayer is communication with God, why should we want to talk to God? And the first reason is that prayer is a command. Prayer is a command. Jesus, before his discourse on prayer, tells us, and when you pray, and when you pray, this tells us that prayer isn't a a la carte item at a buffet, right? It's not going to Chipotle and say, you know what, I don't want lettuce today. A lot of Christians do that. We say, you know what, prayer, ah, I don't know how to do that. I don't think I should. When you pray means that God expects us to communicate with him. And he says again through Paul, do not be anxious about anything, but in some things, in all things, in everything, By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let 
your request be made known to God. You see, prayer is a command because prayer isn't for God, right? It's not for God. He doesn't need our prayers. He doesn't live on our prayers, right? It's for us. We need prayer. And parents, if you're a parent here, maybe you're a new parent or, you know, you're a grandparent, you can attest to this. I've been told that whenever babies need feeding or a diaper change, they will let you know, right? They will scream their head off. They will not stop until whatever need is met, until you have their attention. And if they're okay, right, they'll laugh, they'll play, they'll, they'll stare into the ether, right? And as a good parent, you want, not just want, but you'd expect your baby to communicate with you. It's natural. And it's also an opportunity for uh, you to provide what they need. Now, since that is the case, why don't we expect God to command us to communicate with him if it is in our best interest? Now, let's be honest. Has anybody felt like or remember that moment where they've drifted from God? Things or things have happened where there's sin, circumstances, right? We've drifted from God for a period of time. What's usually the first card to fall? Prayer. Whenever we drift from God because of sin, doubt, because of circumstances, the first thing that we do not do is pray. When we get disconnected from God for any period, everything is thrown out of place. But when we pray, we begin by affirming our weaknesses and we plant our faith in him who is more than able to dispense power, peace, forgiveness, compassion, provision over whatever it is that we're facing. So prayer is first a loving command from our sovereign good father because he knows that our communion with him, our fellowship with him is the spiritual lifeline that is crucial to persevere through this life. So prayer first is a command, and secondly, prayer is worship. Prayer is worship. In our initial question of why shouldn't we want to talk to God, I think a better question is why shouldn't we? Why shouldn't we want to talk to God? Now, we all, right, maybe in one period of time, you all have uh, had an influential finger, right? Somebody that you admire Maybe a financial genius, right? A great philosopher or actor, a great speaker, right? Athlete, maybe your mom, moms, right? Dads, family members. And to our knowledge and observations, they've accomplished some level of greatness for us to desire to esteem them highly or to even want to have a conversation with them. But what if they desired that relationship and fellowship more than you did? For instance, get an example. One of my top five actors, award-winning actors of all time, is Denzel Washington, right? I, I enjoy his acting. I enjoy his performances, and I enjoy him as a person. Um, but let's say, for instance, I get a call. I get an email one day, that he, and he's on the other end, right? And he says, hey, young brother, I got your contact from the church, and I just wanted to let you know you can call me anytime. Now, initially, I'd be skeptical. I was like, this is one of those scams, <laughs> right? But what if? What if, in the, in the event that it is actually Denzel on the other end, I do my due diligence, my research, and I find out this is legit? I would be ecstatic. I would be so happy. I would tell all my boys immediately, guess who just talked to me, dog? <laughs> right? Guess who just called me? 
My wife will not stop hearing about it. Denzel has my phone number. <laughs> right? I want you to take him. I want you to take your Denzels, whoever those people are. I want you to take all the world's great accomplished people and all the things they have done. They would be a microscopic drop in the ocean of God's glory, his majesty, his power, his dominion, his love, his grace. I'm going to take it a bit further. Not just further. This is real. He cannot be compared. The angels, more powerful than we can ever imagine, they stand, worship, and they say what? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We don't even understand who we're dealing with. He is greater than anyone and anything that we can ever imagine. David puts it this way. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent or how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. And we sing that song all the time, like how great is our God, right? Sing with me, how great is our God, right? But do you really, when's the last time you asked, yo, look, how, how great is God? Now, straight up, like, when was the last time you considered, you looked at nature, you looked at your body, you looked at how things are set, and you considered, man, how great is God? You guys are all here, your bodies are here, maybe you're watching online, right? Let's consider three just examples. Roughly 30 trillion cells make up the average human body. 30 trillion. Every second, you and I produce 3.8 million. That is a production of more cells than the U.S. population every minute and a half. Your body is naturally producing 3.8 million cells. Our bones, pound for pound, are four times stronger than steel. Four times stronger than steel. A block of complete bone the size of a box of matches can roughly sustain 18,000 pounds. That is a T-Rex, that is an elephant, fully grown, that is three Tesla SUVs. <laughs> Your bone, in the size of a matchbox, condensed and pressed all together, sustains 18,000 pounds. There are between 60 and 100,000 miles of blood vessels in the human body. Laid end to end, right, they would be long enough to travel around the world more than three times. And that's just three things I just mentioned. I can keep going. But all life, all plant life, the weather, the teeming undiscovered ocean floors, every microbial organism, every unseen magnetic and gravitational forces, guess who made them? He did. He created them. Every spiritual being, every thought, everything is his creation. And here's the mind-bending part. He spoke it. He literally spoke the words, the creation, and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. That's how great God is. As it is unheard of for Denzel to have my phone number, to contact me. That's unheard of. Denzel, if you're watching, you can always hit me up. <laughs> As it is unheard of for him to contact me, it is infinitely astonishing 
infinitely astonishing for the creator and sustainer of the universe to desire to be in fellowship with you and me. And this is true. Right? We can say, you know what, man, that would be nice. That would be great. But I don't know if that's possible. This is true. David says, he says, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you what? Care for them. We are insignificant specks in relation to God's greatness. And yet, he, not the other way around, he is mindful of us. And he cares for us not because of anything that we can do for him. His staggering mindfulness and care is ultimately realized and expressed in the person of Jesus Christ. You see, he doesn't just abstractly show us his care and his mindfulness. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He doesn't just say, I love you and I care about you. But he's like, look, I'm going to show you exactly, tangibly in person, how much I care for you, how much I love you. So our prayers now as sons and daughters of God is because of Christ. It is how we personally and intimately experience this stunning reality. So when we pray, we are in part worshiping. We're declaring his love and care for us because of what Christ has done. And thirdly, prayer is experiencing God's will. Prayer is experiencing God's will. You see, when we pray in accordance to God's will, what he desires in us for our families, our church, and our worlds, we get a front row seat to experience and move in our lives. One of my dreams is to sit courtside at a basketball game, NBA game. That's what, that was one of my dreams. And I've been to a couple games, and it was great. Uh, one time I was in the nosebleed sections. I promised I was touching the ceiling, right? I was looking down. I didn't know what was going on. It was so far up. But there's something about being up and close to see every dribble, every player, every high-flying play, every athlete. But what keeps it a dream, at least for now, is that for some of the most expensive seats are in the front row, right? Uh, an anonymous sports fan in 2017 spent a whopping $133,000 for some seats, right, in an NBA Finals game in Oakland, California. Now, how does this apply? You see, prayer gets us floor seats. Prayer gets us floor seats. Guess how much? For free! <laughs> for free to witness God the God of heaven the most impeccable athlete hear me right the God who rules over all creation move in an, a mighty and seemingly impossible way we get floor seats for free but if we do not ask if we do not pray we do not receive in this case, we do not experience. We don't get seats, right? We'll be outside the stadium, right, wondering why God is so good to brother over there and sister over there. Why is he ain't good to me? Why? It's because we're not praying. We're not asking. A, a, a Christian writer online said, 
prayers unanswered, I'm sorry, prayers unprayed will be prayers unanswered. Prayers unprayed will be prayers unanswered. And James hits us right between the eyes. He says, you do not have because you do not what? Ask. In our Monday night's men's group, uh, we discussed prayer and we bantered quite a bit. And something that occurred to me then and kind of um, resonated with me after I said it is that by God's grace, we're all going to be in God's presence one day. Amen? We're all going to see him face to face. We're all going to rejoice in the fact that there's no sin that separates us from him. There's no death. Right? And at that time, right, I don't know about anybody else, but I may have certain questions. I may or may not. I may not even remember this life at all. You may not either because God's glory will just overshadow everything. But in the event that I do have questions, I may ask him, I was like, Lord, why did I not have facial hair? Why did you prevent my follicles from growing? Right? I promise, I've been growing my facial hair for 30 years, and it ain't ain't happening. Why my bad knees? Right? And maybe even more seriously, why did I struggle in this area for so long? Why did I have such a tough time getting through this? Or why did I miss this? And I'd imagine, among other things, he'd respond with, you didn't ask, brother. Think about it. What are some of the things in your life that God was waiting for you to ask and you didn't? And you're suffering because you did not ask. We often experience less of God by choosing not to pray big or small prayers because we either view the request as larger than or insignificant to God. And either way, we have elevated our problems over God, our requests, our prayers over God, or we have demoted Him. So if knowing God's will is found in spending time in the Word, experiencing the will of God is found in our prayer and in his answering. Amen? So how should we pray? How should we pray? If you've been in church a while or raised in a Christian home, you've no doubt heard of the Lord's Prayer, and you probably heard it this morning. Unfortunately and ironically, we've often reverted to quoting the Lord's Prayer with this unengaged repetition instead of the model that Jesus intended for it to be. He tells us in Matthew 6, 9, pray then in this way or like this. And there are many breakdowns of the Lord's Prayer, uh, but here are five simple categories that prepare our hearts to properly approach God. First, we begin with adoration. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You see, prior to speaking a word, right, we begin by reminding ourselves of the status of relationship we have with God. It's not just, it's not just, just God. He is God, right? He's not wrathful God. No, he is what? Heavenly Father to us, his children. And this sets the tone of our hearts. It melts away our pride and it invites us to freedom of being a child in his presence. And to hallow God's name is another way of asking that God, please, I ask you, 
act in such a way that you visibly demonstrate your holiness and your glory. So we begin with adoration and then we transition to consecration. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're inviting and surrendering into God's kingdom and his desires, which is already reigning in heaven, to be experienced in us, around us, in the world around us. And then we petition for supplication. Give us today our daily bread. Give, give me what I need, Lord, because we're to confidently ask for the daily bread because he's already met our greatest need in the eternal bread in Christ. If he has met that already, how much more will he meet every single need? And let me say something. Our needs, we don't define our needs, right? As a parent, when a kid comes up and tells you, Mom, I need that, he's like, no, you don't. Why? Because you know that that is not what they need, right? That's a good parent. A good parent does not give every child what they think they need. Same as a good God. He gives us what we need. And we need to surrender to his rubric of need, not our desires of want. And we move on to acknowledging any disruptions. We acknowledge any disruptions and forgive us of our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. You see, sin disrupts our relationship with God. It hinders our relationship with God. And a crucial component of our prayers is to invite the Holy Spirit as David does in Psalm 134. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there is any offensive way in me. And as we confess our sins and we receive the promised forgiveness, we're also called to strive to extend forgiveness to others as we've been forgiven. And we finally then we plea for protection. We plea for protection. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And there is a very real and active enemy that seeks to rob us of our intimacy with God. He knows that if I can sever their relationship, if I can sever their communication, he's all alone. And that's why temptations come. And our prayers are to reflect not just the reality of Satan's schemes of temptation to rob us of intimacy with God, but the power of God in and through his word to deliver us from him. And to clarify, uh, memorizing the Lord's prayer or memorizing any scripture and you desire, Lord, I want to pray this back to you. When we're spiritually engaged, that is prayer. You can quote the Lord's prayer faithfully and with all you have, and that is also prayer. Again, this is a model, right? of components that we should implement to ensure that our hearts are properly aligned to properly communicate with God. So what does prayer have to do with our text this morning? If you've been in church for quite a bit of time, you've probably read this before. You probably know where we're going. You see, Jesus knows the immense value of prayer as he would often withdraw to a desolate place to pray. And our stories begins as such as he sends both the crowds and the disciples away. Jesus so savored, he so treasured his time with God the Father that later that night he was there by himself. 
in practicing the sweet solitude of prayer as Jesus exhibits shows us firstly that prayer enables us to retreat and re-enter. Prayer enables us to retreat and enables us to re-enter. In retreating, we momentarily escape life's bustling demands. We escape the noise and we find refreshment in the presence of God. We must learn to make moments, whether it's early in the morning, late at night, in the middle of the day. Make moments with you and God. Weave in moments with you and God so you can make moments but strive in anything. Bring him in. Whether it's physically or mentally retreating throughout your day. And as we are being refilled in our retreating, we are now equipped to be sent out as salt, as light, and spiritual refreshment to a world that is in desperate need of him. And that's exactly what Jesus did. What he retreated to God's presence. And then he is re-entering the very real storm that the disciples were facing. Let's pick it up in verse 24. And the boat was a considerably, uh, I'm sorry, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It is a ghost, they cried, um, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. So prayer first enables us to retreat and re-enter. As Jesus retreated into God's presence, he re-entered into the storm that the disciples were facing. And secondly, it encourages us to fix our eyes on the Lord. Prayer encourages us to fix our eyes on the Lord. The Sea of Galilee was notorious for its violent and unpredictable storms. Fishing boats caught in the squalls were just, they were in danger of capsizing. And as random as these storms may seem to them, this was not a surprise to Jesus. He planned this. And similarly, God plans and allows for the storms that arise in your lives. And that's, that's, that, that seems countercultural, maybe counter-Christian uh, in our day. God plans for storms in your life. For the purpose of inviting you to exercise faith. That's the reason. He plans for storms in your life so that you can learn to exercise your faith. A lot of us, are uh, we have spiritual atrophy. When, when you don't use a muscle, it shrinks and it gets weak. When you don't strengthen your muscle, it gets weak. A lot of us, we, we desire spiritual life. God, I don't want a storm. And God is like, no, you need a storm. You need something to strengthen your faith. And that's what Peter does. In verse 20, he says, Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then, Jesus, uh, so then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. And like Peter, we're taking steps of faith toward Jesus, right? You're in the storm and you're walking towards him, but in an instant, we allow the storm to steal our attention from who rules over it. We allow the storms to remove our gaze from the Lord Jesus, and we now look at the wind. We look at the waves. 
verse 30, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And we may strive to pray and see God's face, but over time, right, in that storm, those waves, man, they seem a little bit higher, right? That lightning seems a little bit brighter, and it's a little closer than I, I don't want it to be. The thunder claps a little bit louder. I feel encroached upon. Immediately, fear, worry, and anxiety sets in, and before we know it, we haven't talked to God. We've taken our eyes off of him. And like Peter, we feel that we're beginning to sink. But God, even in that moment, even in that moment of doubt, of faithlessness, of prayerlessness, he is faithful. And Peter declares probably the shortest and equally effective prayer in all the Bible. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. What a humble and honest and bold prayer. I'm drowning. You can save me. You are Lord. You are Lord. I am unable to pull myself up. I cannot swim. Save me. Charles Spurgeon puts it this way. Christians' prayer are measured by weight, not by length. Christians' prayer are measured by weight, not by length. Many of the most prevailing prayers have been as short as they were strong. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, why did you doubt? I remember reading Jesus' uh, rebuke to Peter. Now this is, for me, I'm going to just be honest with y'all, I am afraid of open water. I'll say that much, right? I have a fear of open spaces and open waters. I have no idea what's in there, right? I don't want to find out. If we go to the ocean, I'm going to do this with the water and come back to the beach, right? That's just me, right? As a guy reading this, I thought of his response. Lord, if, if I was Peter, right, why did I doubt? I saw the winds and the waves. Did you not see the winds and the waves, Lord? Right? And Jesus' reply being, did you not see me? Did you not see me? What happens when our, when our, our worries, those waves in our lives, become greater than God? Did you not see me? We're not to wait for the storms of life to pray. But, but, but we're always to be in prayer so that when, somebody say when, not if, when the storms of life comes, our faith is fixed on the Lord who rules over the waves and is more than able to lead us through them for his glory and for our joy. We need to be praying. We need to be your praying people before the storms come so that when they come, our eyes are fixed on him. Thirdly, prayer reminds us that we know him. Prayer reminds us that we know him. In verse 32, and when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. The disciples did what was natural in worshiping Jesus for this display of his deity and saving them from the storm. They declared what God has revealed to them, that Jesus is the Son of God. You see, unlike the crowds or unlike King Herod, they did not misunderstand. But they know him as he intends to be known. 
the Son of God. And when we enter God's presence in prayer, we're being reminded again of the tremendous privilege that we have a relationship with God through Christ. Whenever it is that you have turned your, your, your spiritual eye, right, or your mental eye, or physically you close your eyes, in that moment, what you're affirming is, I know him. You may not say that, you may not think that, but prayer is literally saying, I know him. And he knows me. J.I. Packer, the author of, of the soul-enriching classic, Knowing God, says this, people who know their God before anything else are people who pray. People who know their God are before anything else, people who pray. And when we practice the sweet solitude of prayer, we're constantly reminded of who has us and who is with us. So prayer is communicating with God as our Heavenly Father by faith in Christ through the enabling of the Holy Spirit. And for for you to truly have an audience with God as Father, you must have a spiritual relationship with Him. You must be born again. Being born again is, is putting your faith in Jesus Christ, His Son. Without Him, we are spiritually dead in our sins. We are wicked, and our attempts to reach Him are abominations in His sight. But the good news The good news is that Christ has made a way through his life on the cross, his life and death on the cross, his burial, his resurrection. He says in his word, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through by me. You cannot approach God as Father without Jesus Christ, his son. And when you believe in Jesus When you have a relationship with him, he takes all your sin, past, your present, and the future. Everything that you will ever do is laid on Jesus Christ. He gives you in return his perfect life of obedience on earth as your own. It is yours. So that when God sees you, he doesn't see your sin. It's been taken care of. It's been paid for, paid in full. He sees Jesus' righteousness. He says, Jesus, and he says, yeah, I want to have a relationship with him. There is no condemnation before you. And the Holy Spirit comes into our lives. He brings our spirit to life. He makes his home in us. And God the Father adopts us as sons and daughters forever. And in that moment, from that moment on, you have instant access to God's presence, both in this life through prayer, whether you're driving, whether you're talking to somebody in real time, you say, Lord, help me. Save me. Help me in this situation. I lost my keys, Lord. Help me to find it. <laughs> Happens to me all the time. Straight up. This morning, I was, I was, I was running late. But, but in that moment, you have instant access to God the Father because of Christ. And if you're here this morning, You have never believed in Jesus. Let me tell you something. You are in the right place. You are in the perfect time. You are in the right time. You are here this morning because God has been drawing you. You are here because people have been praying for you. You've been seeking the relationship and friendship of God through other means. 
and they have not satisfied. In our, our church family, if you've been a Christian for quite a bit, you can attest to this hymn. What a friend we have in Jesus. All of our sins and grief to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. That relationship, that sweetness with God the Father, the creator and sustainer of the universe, is available for you right now, today. God says that at, the, at just the right time, I heard you. On the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day for salvation. I'm going to ask our prayer team to come forward and for us all to stand. If that's you, if that's you this morning, if it is your first time, so you know what, I want that. I want a relationship with God through Jesus Christ by faith in him. I'd love for you to really just pause for a moment to say, you know what, I really get that. I want, I want to be able to pray with God. I want to be able to talk to God. I want that, that sweetness that he's talking about. If that's you this morning, I'm going to do something a little bit different. I want you to come forward. And this is different because, right, and naturally a lot of times we, don't, we think that's kind of uncomfortable, but we are a church family, amen? We are rejoicing in that we are celebrating that God is calling someone into his kingdom again. God is calling brothers and sisters. If that is you this morning, we want to celebrate with you. We want to rejoice with you. All of heaven, all of the angels, the word says rejoices when somebody believes the gospel. If that's you this morning, maybe you like, you know what, I, I don't know, I don't know if I can do this. God has already been drawing you. And this is the moment. This is the moment. And it's all done by faith. This is the moment. This is the moment. Amen, 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 and amen, amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Don't wait. You have no idea what tomorrow will hold. You have no idea. He's calling. He's drawing. Please, do not assume that you have your life in your hands. Do not assume that you can walk out of here and drive home and wake up the next morning. Because if you do, 
and your sins are not forgiven and there is no relationship with God, there is a permanent removal from God's presence. That is not where anybody desires to be. No matter how it's raised up in our culture, Jesus says it is a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's a place of pain and regret. So let's all confess this morning as a church family. Say, I believe in Jesus Christ that he died for my sins, that he rose again to make me a child of God by faith in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And if you're here this morning and you have not connected with God, you, you've been following maybe the storms of life, the waves that seem high and the lightning and the thunderbolt have been crashing all around you and you've lost sight. If that's you this morning, I want to give you this time. We're going to sing a song. And in this time of song, I want you to come forward. If you need prayer for anything, anything, our prayer team is right here. And if someone comes up and you know them and you want to stand alongside of them and pray for them, I encourage you, come forward. Stretch out your hands. And if that's you, make your way to the front. Make your way to the front. This is a time for us to experience that sweetness, that relationship that we have in Christ. Ushers, uh, our life group leaders, if you see anybody coming forward that's part of your life group, please step forward. Thank you.
this time that we get to meet with you oh how sweet is your presence Lord. the open arms of the father we can run at any time how Jesus modeled that for us as he the son of God spend time with you Lord may we also follow his footsteps Lord may we be a people of prayer Lord God we bring every request to you, Lord. That our hearts cry the song that we're singing, Lord, we need you. We need you. Every moment, let us not be ashamed. Let us not be uh, uh, prideful, Lord God. But let us come boldly to the throne of grace. Boldly to the throne of grace. Let us pray more. We thank you. We thank you, Lord. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Please pray, pray, spend time with God this week, and we will see you again next Sunday. God bless.